I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show, with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. No, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, no, no, no. We're going to take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. Good evening and welcome to this special presentation of The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we are here this evening to celebrate the release of my first full-length erotic romance novel, The Surrender Gate. Congratulations, Christopher. Thank and I think you. it's very much worth noting that you can buy it right this very minute on thedinnerpartyshow.com. Absolutely. And purchasing it here, of course, helps to support the show. And it's available at Amazon, right? It's available on Amazon exclusively for 90 days. And after those 90 days... Days, it becomes available for Nook and on iBooks as well. All right, then. So okay. there are plenty of opportunities to buy The Surrender Gate, plenty. but this is our big chance to say congratulations, Christopher. I, I hope that it's a triumphant new release. I I, I hope so, too. I'm a, I'm a little nervous, I have to say. It is a it is a very sexually explicit novel, and uh, when you uh, write a sexually explicit novel, you have to put some of your own sort of stuff into it, if you will. Let's say, like, yeah. fantasies and... And things like that. And, yeah, um, that makes sense. Like it's a you write from what you know to some extent, or at least what you fantasized about. I guess in the case of sex novels, r right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought if you're okay with it, and if you're not okay with it, it's fine. I thought maybe you could read a little bit from it, just a little bit aloud tonight on the air. Just a little bit. I know the last time we did this, I did it with one of my mother's books, and it, be, it was a big emotional thing, and we, we don't want to talk about that ever again. Um, well, but, you may not want to talk about okay, that anymore, but right, I'm right. probably going to bring it up two or three more thousand times before, you know, 
one or the both okay. of us is dead. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're in um you're in a good place for this now. If if we get to a point in this reading where you are remotely uncomfortable, please just don't have any second thoughts about stopping. We well, can talk about the. Thank you. We can talk about erotic romance. But you've sort of picked a particular. Way and there's a I, I, yeah. passage that you yeah. think I should read. Yeah, it's in it's in the script that I gave you. And so, okay. Um, you want to? You haven't read the book yet, right? You haven't. No, I, I have not. In fact, we've had some discussion about whether or not you wanted me to, and I yeah, think yeah, this yeah, was yeah. the one that you right. had said you actually did want to. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't have to. Why like, don't if you if you get through this section that I'm going to have you read tonight without having any sort of emotional reaction, if that's possible for you not to have an emotional reaction to something, um, then you can decide. <laughs> Whether or not you're going to read the whole book, and maybe if you do read the whole book, you just like won't tell me that you've read it. Like, Are you saying that I'm an emotional sort of no, person? You think? No, 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 no. You just have a tendency to be really sort of high strung into over over control situations, kind of like I'm doing right now. So why don't you? Why don't you start reading? Glass houses. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, just start reading. It's 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 all right. Here this we is go. a section from the Surrender Gate, which Eric Shaw Quinn is going to now read aloud for you, our party people here on the dinner party show the surrender gate by christopher louise rice oh, this is not my middle name my middle <laughs> name is travis but thank you <sighs> he cups her chin gently with gloved fingers mm-hmm. her lips part first to take a much needed breath then further so that he can place one side of the peach snugly in her mouth fear has run her mouth dry which is a good thing or else the peach might have slipped to the floor upon contact with her yawning mouth. Another lift of his finger, and a new message appears. Are you ready to surrender, Lily? Her mind fills with every dark possibility, roiling beneath the surface of the scene before her. The hooded figures are poised for some terrible act of violence, she's sure. The amber fluid swirling through the chamber overhead is some horrible poison, or worse, gasoline. She has been raised to think this way, not just by her father, but by the world itself. Raised to believe that this kind of vulnerability will cost you your life, especially if you're a woman. All things being equal, the darkest possibility was always the most probable. But it's not always true, and she prays it won't be true now. She tries to find the man's eyes through the darkness, finds instead the strange, impenetrable glass flickering with the reflection of her face bathed in candlelight. Gently, so as not to jostle the peach from her mouth, she nods. The silent messenger closes one gloved hand around the pull chain. He gives it a single, determined yank, Mm -hmm. and everything that follows seems to happen in one dizzying, impossible instant. Okay, now here we go. Two threads of amber-colored fluid pour down onto her chest from the lucite cube overhead, painting her breasts with something sticky and thick. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have breasts? Like, if you had them, would you stay at home playing with them all? I'm just curious. I'm sorry. I'm still gay, so uh, no. I well, actually, I actually, to be perfectly honest with you, find breasts a little strange. Oh, okay. I okay. just, I... I'm such a boy, and I'm so all about that that it yeah. it's always seemed a little odd to me. I was reading – where was it? I was reading recently. Somebody said, since we're all basically the two Y chromosomes that – and men are the XY chromosome, mm-hmm. that, that men are actually a defect or a – uh, some some kind of, yeah. but I don't. It doesn't feel that way to me. It just okay. seems like, 
wow, wouldn't it be strange if your chest did that? I went to a strip club once in Orlando called the Booby Hatch. Uh-huh. I made a friend take me. It was too, I don't know if it's still there, but it was like when you were driving down the freeway, it was two pink domes oh. off the side of the, the freeway. And I just thought, well, I have to see this. And so it was an interesting experience okay. to like, it was like my first encounter with, well, you know, and then what's her name took me. The fuck are you doing? Years later to... um. I think it was called Scores. So that's why you're so comfortable reading about breasts, even when your friend wrote the thing that the breasts well, are in. I'll tell you, I actually um, wrote the number one chiclet Amazon yeah. book for 2004. Okay. So I'm, you know, I've been, I've been down this road before. All right, yeah, because it looks like you're showing um, no signs of stopping. Okay, why don't we? I guess we can keep going. Um, okay, Brandon. Well, we'll just pick it up right where I left off. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Ready? Are we rolling? Yeah, sure, I guess. <clears throat> All right. So, the, as you recall, the honey was yeah, pouring yeah, down onto they her know. breasts. They know. Okay. They know. Three figures crouched on the floor, spring to life, lunging across the floor like jungle cats, their robes falling away behind them, revealing flashes of muscle and shiny leather outfits that only covered their genitals. And in the case of the two women, their breasts... Her silent messenger drops his robe, revealing plates of olive-skinned muscle. What's a jungle cat? Do you know? Like, like they're, is a leopard a jungle cat, or are they like... You know, I guess. I would really actually guess a jaguar. Okay. okay. I, I don't know. I, the spots, I guess, would disguise them in the jungle, okay. or would they make them stand out? Yeah. Jaguars yeah. are just black, so I yeah. would think they would be better concealed in the, the, uh, the undergrowth. Okay. Okay, maybe it'll be like a footnote if anybody. <laughs> okay, I guess you're just gonna you're gonna read the whole thing, aren't you? Like you were, Isn't that what you wanted me to do? I, I sure, sure, yeah. I, this is great. I'm so happy we're doing this. Okay, I guess go back. Read. Well, it's it's your book. I, I know. You I be... know. I just didn't. It, when I was thinking about it in advance, I thought it would be different. Okay. Am I? Is there something no, I'm fine. doing wrong? No, you're doing you're doing it fine. Okay. Fine. All right. So maybe you could read a little. No, just do it. I, I don't want to tell you your form. I, I don't want to over-direct you. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. <clears throat> so we'll just pick it up from there. Okay. Her silent messenger drops his robe, revealing plates of olive-skinned muscle. All four mouths take to her body at once, and only as they suck it from her nipples and lick it from the undersides of her breasts and trace its wet oozing power. We're done! Thank you, Eric Shaw Quinn. This has been a reading from The Surrender Gate, my novel, and uh, I think th- I think that gave everybody a really good idea of uh, of uh, um, how many breasts there are in this novel. Yeah. So I, you know, thank you. At least the, the, the two yeah, and possibly you. the leather-clad ones. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we apparently had a, some honey and a peach. And, and some people who look like jungle cats, even though I don't actually know what a jungle cat is. I, I still feel comfortable using book. it. To, it is my book. It is my book, and I think it is better if this book is not read aloud, unless you're reading it to somebody like you're in bed with, because that was super weird, having your best friend <laughs> read your erotica on the air. I'm going to take a little sip of tea to get my balance back here. Yeah, and just mm-hmm. as a preview to um, our listeners, that right right after the part where I cut okay, off, she no, says, no, no, grip, no, no. don't bite. No, 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 she no, no, thinks, no, no, no. Don't, don't no bite. spoilers. No spoilers, please. <laughs> no spoilers. I think I may begin to see the problem with my performance today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's not a problem. It's maybe a problem with the content wasn't appropriate for your performance. Everything about you was fine. You're you're great. You're wonderful. Don't ever. You're monster talent. Don't ever change, as <laughs> well, you like to well, say. Thank you, Chocolate. thank you, Christopher. I, I really appreciate that. Um, did you do a lot of research to get this book together? Yeah, or? I did some research in uh, high school and college with the breast part of the book. <laughs> Uh, and there's always my lovely female friends who are willing to answer questions about, uh, you know, the anatomy. Uh, not my mother. She is not somebody that I go to for those types yeah, of questions. It really, editing erotica is really – I remember when I was writing the uh, the Queerest Folk books, I had the, the, the unforgettable experience of asking my lady – book editor if pussy boy was one word or two yeah absolutely. i thought that was really i was like this is an editor's note i didn't think i would ever have to make yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah I, it's the, really, it's I think the best part conversation about getting this book edited were the stage direction questions like if he puts his hands on her knees right now and starts to lean in to do a certain thing to her how did he get from the chair over there it's the clinical lens with which you have to view the sex acts well, you that are being described in such way. Yeah, you you're do. Writing this kind of... It's an amazing amount of choreography, and a lot of times making a sex scene fresh comes down to the choreography and the emotions as well, but you have to have some variation. Did it variation. get you going? Yes, it did. It yeah, did like it was really my experience. It, it starts out to be really tantric, and then it gets to be Yeah, I wrote, I wrote the whole book with suction cups on my nipples, and I had to tie myself to my chair to keep my, you know, keep myself... You know, from getting up and excusing so those myself. Those would be tax deductible, then. right? Absolutely. No, <laughs> pleasure I did nothing chest. of the guide. Save your receipts. Sandra will be so thrilled to receive <laughs> your receipts from the pleasure chest on this particular. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I think the moral of the story is I'm perfectly comfortable having or writing erotic, I should say, but I'm not comfortable having my best friend read it while I'm I'm sitting right here. Well, it was you know just my effort to support the release of your new book. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank and, uh, you. We don't ever have to do that again. <laughs> we don't if, ever have to do that again. We really can both take you. showers now. We can both go and take I'm showers. Actually, you're fine. I'm you're fine. fine. I, we, we wouldn't shower together and we wouldn't shower with honey or masks unless, and Unless uh, Jesse Colton was writing the, <laughs> the version. And even he can't fiction. stand it after he gets to a certain point. Well, I will out. tell you the one word that appears nowhere in this book is pubis. But there are a lot of other words in this book. And I'll tell you why. Because one of the publishers of the book asked, at my request, the other female authors, all of the other authors are actually female, in A Thousand and One Dark Nights, what words would I could use as a male author for lady parts? And the response... As it came back, all of them. Ah. Except for pubis. I did not use pubis. <laughs> but they were okay with that too? Uh, yeah, they would have been. They would have been more okay with pubis is on the uh, mild end of what's in play. Yeah, you know, a little dirty talk a gets people going. Talk. Gets yeah. your engine running. Well, speaking of dirty talk, we're now going to bring you a special encore presentation of my report <laughs> from the Romantic Times from convention. The, the official dirty talkers the themselves. Dirty talk central. Right. Dirty talk con, if you will. Dirty con. <laughs> uh, no, the Romantic Times uh, convention was last year in New Orleans. It was at the uh, Marriott Hotel on Canal Street. I attended and I met all of the other authors that were included in A Thousand One Dark Nights in 2014. The report also includes an interesting explanation of how the project works in the new digital publishing marketplace. And when we're done with that, we will be back here to talk about one of my more controversial hang-ups that I encountered while writing The Surrender Gate. I'm huh. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to The Dinner Party Show. 
It's estimated that 46% of all ebooks sold are romance novels. Earlier this year, one of the largest conventions of romance novelists and their fans met in my hometown of New Orleans. The Romantic Times Book Lovers Convention, officially referred to as RT by those in the know, is a massive week-long event full of workshops, book signings, and costume parties. And this year, I joined them for the first time. The reason? I had agreed to contribute to 1001 Dark Nights, an innovative series of monthly erotic romance novellas featuring some of the most successful authors in the genre. Despite the fact that I've been attending literary conferences for years, I'd only met one of the other contributors. That would be Heather Graham. But the rest of them were strangers, as foreign and exotic to me as this exciting new genre at which I was getting ready to try my hand for the first time. It's possible many of these women were strangers because most of them are indie success stories. Diligent, hardworking writers who found themselves shut out of mainstream publishing, only to be offered a new and unexpected platform to distribute their works when Amazon invented the Kindle. My plan upon arrival was to ask every contributor the same set of questions. But first, I needed to see if those questions met with the approval of the creators of A Thousand and One Dark Nights, author M.J. Rose and Liz Berry, the executive director of International Thriller Writers. So the first question is, if you had to spend the rest of your life on a desert island, which famous actor would you take with you? Does it have to be who they are now, or can it be who they were like 10 years ago? Do you think we should open it up to all time? I think it should be time travel, yes. Since we write paranormal and all that stuff, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I'll take Richard Gere from American Gigolo days. All right. MJ takes Richard Gere from American Gigolo. And I would take Brad Pitt from Legends of the Fall. Brad Pitt from Legends of the Fall. That's a good one. Uh, Probably Matt Damon from Good Will Hunting. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. That's a good one. So that was my first question. But what about the second? Would you rather spend the rest of your life married to a vampire or a billionaire CEO? Well, that's where things kind of went off the rails. You like vampires. I like I didn't immortality. Know this about. You like immortality. Yeah, okay. and, and they're hot, Chris. I mean, yeah. with the muscles and the... Mm. But not not all vampires have muscles, Liz. You know what? In my brain, they in can have brain. whatever that I want. I think I want in your brain, have. we all have muscles. Yeah, That's why do. I hang around you so <laughs> much because my muscles get it's bigger true. when when you and I are, oh, are my. close. Oh, Chris. <laughs> oh no! You see what this conference does to people? It's crazy here. I walked into the lobby. The estrogen just wafted over me. Yeah, all the elevators are full of posters of Navy SEALs. Everyone's, yeah, everyone has worked into a state. There's a lot the, of drawings of naked men around this there's place. There's a lot of angst they're, from these women, and they're going to take it out on you, I'm they afraid. Don't, they don't seem very angsty, but uh, they seem like they're having a pretty good time. That's true. Yeah. After that slip of the tongue, we never made it to the third question. But my muscles did feel a little bigger. Later, I managed to get some time alone with my friend MJ Rose, who explained how A Thousand and One Dark Nights sprang from a phone call she had with her friend and international thriller writer's colleague Liz Berry, a self-described uber-fangirl of erotic romance. I was in Florida, and I was walking in the morning, and I was trying to figure out um, how I could build a big newsletter list. 
and I um, called Liz and I said, I have this really weird idea. Like, what if we came up with an idea and we had all these different authors write a different short story and we did all this marketing behind it and we made it like a branded thing, but every author got to write their own thing. And we walked, I walked for an hour and a half that morning and we brainstormed on the phone about what this could be and how we would build it. And we got all, well, she was helping me. She thought I was doing it. And we get finished with the conversation. I said, well, you like this idea? And she said, yeah, I think this is great. You should do it. I said, well, I'll do it if you be my partner. She's like, oh, really, really, really? You want me to be? I said, I can't do it without you. You know all the authors. It was very exciting. Rose is considered by many to be the first indie author. In a time when self-publishing was considered the kiss of death for any writer, she managed to go from emailing readers word files of her first novel to a contract with a major New York publisher. Today she's published by Simon & Schuster and she's the co-president of International Thriller Writers. But it's the 15 years she spent working in advertising that led her to start her own company, Author Buzz, the first marketing firm designed solely for writers. I'm from advertising and I'm really, my head is all about marketing. And one of the things that really has frustrated me is there's all this unused potential about authors connecting with each other and helping each other get the word out about books that are terrific. What I wanted to do and what Liz wanted to do was we wanted to do marketing that pays you the author, that helps you grow your brand, and we wanted to be a completely new kind of company that is completely transparent with figures and money and splits everything with you and in some cases gives you more than it gives us. Like with audio and film rights, you get 70% and we only keep 30 because we really have a new vision of how things can work. It's a very collective group group effort where everybody really has to help each other or it doesn't work. And so we only chose authors that we knew personally and that we liked and that we were friends with because we didn't want anybody who wasn't going to be really willing to do what was required of them. It's a lot of work for each author. They have to social media 12 times a year everybody else's books. And they have to, most of them are reading all the 12 books so they can actually say intelligent things about them. But the benefit is every single book in the group has the links to every other author's books. And we're seeing that each month more and more books are selling exponentially as more and more copies get out there. So it's really been amazingly exciting. It's probably the most exciting experience I've had since 1999 in publishing, of actually seeing something that we thought had potential and really seeing that it actually works. But why does it work so well? Is it simply because romance fans are notoriously voracious readers? Or is it because the buy buttons for all the other novellas in the series are literally right there in front of you as soon as you finish the book? This dramatic shortening of the distance between an ad and a point of sale simply isn't possible in a physical book. Think of it as a streamlined 21st century version of the old order forms you'd sometimes find in the final pages of a mass market paperback. And if anyone's wondering, yes, physical versions of each title in the series are available for sale. But what is it about the 1001 Dark Knights business model that's good for authors, especially in a marketplace where so many have found success going it on their own? The whole concept has a very detailed back end to it. 
about how we need a certain number of months to sell a certain number of copies to pay our bills because we're fronting everything and we're not asking the authors to front it and we're not um, we're not keeping the author's money until we're paid. We're, the authors get paid from the first copy that sells. So after a certain number of months we're paid but then we're, we're keeping the book selling and having this big backlist so that everybody can keep selling. And the idea is, this is complicated to explain, but the idea is that every author's own books are going to, their brand is going to be increased and their sales are going to be increased by at least 10%. And authors are telling us whose books have come out that indeed they are selling more of their other new books than they expected to based on all this buzzing that the group of 12 authors is doing about them and all the links in the backs of the 1001 Dark Knight books. And at the end of the year, we get a story from you, right? We get a story from MJ Rowe. Well, this, the way the stories are written is I wrote the introduction, the idea about this young woman who's a time traveler who um, gets stuck during the Arabian Nights and every night she has to tell the king another story to keep herself alive and then each author can tell whatever story they want it's so open-ended she's gonna tell him a story every night that's totally different so you can tell your story and Heather Graham can tell her story and the stories can be wildly different but they're still the same stories that our characters keeping herself alive so in December uh, Lexi Blake and um, Shayla Black and I are writing a story together about that woman and how she got stuck. When Liz and MJ first asked me to take part in the series, it was so I could be the token horror writer in the bunch. But the more they explained the changes taking place in the romance genre, the more I became fascinated by all of the different possibilities, if you will. One of those new popular configurations is referred to as menage. It involves one woman with two men. And when series contributor Lorelai James, known for her contemporary erotic westerns, explained her own menage novel to me, it became clear that sometimes those men touch each other too. Trevor and Edgar together were really fun to write. Um, it was completely a step outside of what I normally write. And I think a lot of times when you when you write things like that, male, male, menage, you sort of get pigeonholed. So it was really nice for me to get to write something different and then not have to write that all yeah. the time. Was there anything negative? Did you get people saying, I don't want to, this isn't my thing. I don't want to write, I want it more traditional. Actually, after Long Hard Ride and I left them sort of star-crossed lovers, I got mm -hmm. a lot of requests for me to write their story. And then wow. when I when I married, mm -hmm. you know, Trevor to Chassie in book four, right. I got a lot of angry emails that said, <laughs> oh my God, how could you do that to Edgar? They were so perfect together. And I said, stay tuned. You know, uh -huh. I, wanted, I wanted them to know that their story wasn't done. Right. Initially, I had wanted to just leave them star-crossed lovers because I think that happens right. a lot in real life. Yeah. And, but their story was a little compelling to write, so I had to finish right. it. Well, you know, it's interesting because I sort of got pulled into this whole project by Liz Barry, and she explained to me that menage was a thing that was happening in romance. I had no idea. I knew that there were a lot of women writing right. romance with two men as the heroes, but I didn't know that the configurations were expanding, if you will. I mean, is that a post ebook thing, or was that happening before? Was Harlequin publishing MMF? No, not at, not at all, because yeah. it's kind of ironic that I'm with NAL, which mm -hmm. is Penguin Putnam right now, for the Black Top Cowboys, but they originally turned down Long Hard Ride because of the male male. 
Wow. And they said, if you change the mail mail, we will publish it. And I said, I'm not changing it because it's such a part of the story. Right. And then a couple of years later, we pitched an entirely different series to them. So. Wow. So I think ebooks are have always been way ahead of the curve. I know that there's a there's a lot more out there now. If I pitched a mail mail series to NAL, they would have no problem with it as long as there was a third player that was a woman right. and they were focused on it on more on the woman than just the mm -hmm. two guys but yeah. you know anything goes now which wasn't the case even seven years ago you know and I honestly think that's the reason why I sell so well in digital is because somebody doesn't have to have the book cover road hard put up wet when they're on the airport or when they're you know on the train or whatever you know no one knows what they're reading and so I do think that that's a huge benefit to digital books anything goes that seems to be the motto with romance these days, particularly when it comes to sex. Lately, it seems as if the epic success of Fifty Shades of Grey has all but eclipsed the old Nora Roberts days of sisters finding love at elaborate weddings. Why has BDSM moved so quickly to the forefront of the digital romance revolution? Lexi Blake author of the hit series Masters and Mercenaries, had this to say on the topic. I call what I write sugar kink. Sugar cake. Sugar kink. Sugar kink, oh. Yes, it's not hardcore kink, but it's got elements of it, but it's still very, very romantic. It, it fits in a romance novel, but the, the sex is very important to the book. With BDSM, there are as many ways to practice as there are people who practice it. Right. The, what I enjoy about writing in that world is they take sex seriously. Okay. You, you have to talk about it. You have to, you have to take your own sexuality seriously. There's communication involved. Yes. Right. And, and I don't think, especially women, we don't necessarily do that. Interesting. For, for much of our lives, we, we suppress it. We say it's not important. We, and yet our partners... That, that's kind of the language of, of a man's love. Huh. Sex is, is the way they, they, they show they love you. Right. So this makes us speak their language, ah. but it also makes them speak ours because they ha we have to talk about it. Right, right. So that's, that's genuinely what I, I love and adore about that world. All right. So enough with the big philosophical questions. It was time for me to get back to my own erotic version of the Proust questionnaire. The first question was simple enough. Would you rather spend the rest of your life married to a vampire or a billionaire CEO? But as I learned with my old friend Heather Graham, the mere mention of vampires can open up a whole coffin of worms. Get it? So you write about vampires. What are those? You don't? Really? I don't know. I hear a lot about them. I hear they're very popular, particularly in New Orleans, but I have no idea why. There would be a big shock. I, I guess you somehow you missed this because, you know, we miss the things right in front of us, but there's this incredible author named Anne Rice, and I think she really introduced them to this. I mean, well, or she found them, one or the other. She introduced them to the city, or she found them here and brought them to the rest of us. You are constantly at conferences. Is that correct? I'm there a lot. You're literally, you're at every conference I've ever attended, and you have more frequent flyer miles than anyone I know, but you also have an amazing output. Amazing. Like, how many books a year do you write? I, I've never really, I, I've been around a long time. I have about 200 books. I like to, but I just, I, be, I love, I read everything, and I belong to horror writers, 
Um, I belong to thriller writers. I belong to romance writers. I belong to sisters in crime. I am mystery writers. And they all have conferences and they all have incredible, wonderful people that I get to see when I go. So that's what's neat about it. But there were some authors I spoke with who decided to play by the rules of my little questionnaire. Authors like Julie Kenner. Just a few months after the conference, her novel Claim Me won the prestigious Rita Award for Erotic Romance. But during our interview, she was humble, self-effacing, and to the point. If you had to spend the rest of your life married to one of the following, who would you pick, a billionaire CEO or a vampire? Billionaire CEO. Why is that? Because I have shopping issues. <laughs> and vampires just can't really do anything about shopping. You no, know, you know, and you know, and I kind of like the daylight. I'm, I'm a fan of the sun, you know, okay. like like the beach, like the beach, yeah. I mean, you, could, you wouldn't have to be a vampire. You could just be married to him, and you'd have your own space during the day. Well, that's true, but you know, like that companionability thing, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Drinks by the pool with the guy. Uh, you know, yeah. But then my luck ran out. On the subject of vampires, Cherise Sinclair, self-described introvert and author of the series Master of the Shadowlands, decided to turn the tables on me, the interviewer. Have you ever really thought about it? Now, a vampire's heart does not beat. Right. Right? Right. Where does a guy get an erection from, right. if his heart is not beating and the blood is not flowing, then either he has a permanent erection or he has nothing at all because nothing would come up and down. Right. So just curious, Chris, answer me that. What? I'm supposed to be asking the questions here. Here's the best I could do. I think, okay, well, obviously, I know what explanation my mother came up with, right? that would probably explain it, but I think it's up to each author to decide how a vampire is gonna get an erection, <laughs> right? Because in her world, and we'll ask Laura Adrian and I'll ask Tina Folsom when I have her on mic, and in my mother's world, there's a sp single spirit that lives in each of them that animates them, that's their life force. So that's where the erection would come from. But in the absence of that, you're right. I have no idea how a vampire would get an erection. Pretty lame, I know. So I put Sharice's question to series contributor Tina Folsom. Her Scan Guards series features vampires who devote their lives to protecting humans. They're literally vampire bodyguards. They have to hire certain humans to work during the day, obviously. But how do they perform in other areas? Okay, so one of our other contributors, Cherise Sinclair, brought up this point, And maybe because you all have been sitting together for most of the evening, she's already addressed it with you. She's under the impressions that vampires don't have a heart, and they don't have a heart beat. So how do they become stimulated enough for sex? Well, see, this is where my vampires are different. They all have a heartbeat. Because you need a heartbeat to pump the blood through your veins. So there is no way that certain sparkling vampires could actually father children if uh, they can't, don't have any fluids in their body. Sorry. So, so for me, a vampire has a heartbeat. Yeah. Case closed. In Tina Folsom's case, at least. But what about series contributor Laura Adrian? Romantic Times Magazine has named her Midnight Breed novels one of the best vampire series on the market. But how do her vampires measure up when the lights go down? I actually thought about that because I'm kind of logical. And right. I was thinking that is the problem with the undead, you know? Right. So mine are kind of an alien. It's an uh -huh. alien-human hybrid. 
So, yeah, so they're like very hot-blooded, very sexy, and very capable. As any writer knows, there's nothing like a new cosmology to help you deal with an old problem. But when I asked her one of the other questions on my questionnaire, Laura ended up raising the bar for everyone who followed. Take a listen. If you had to spend the rest of your life on a desert island, which famous actor would you take with you? And you can choose from throughout history. Oh my God, that's hard. Um, I would have said Brad Pitt before the goatee and Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. And I would have said Clooney. But no, I, there's really nobody. That's there's really, really weird. There's nobody? really nobody. Uh -uh. Would you want to go to a desert island alone or with your no. favorite book? Oh, or, yeah. Can I take my husband? That's a really Aww, lame answer, that's but a you know. Great answer. <laughs> I've been with him 28 years since I was 20, uh -huh. and so I mean he's it for me. So that's fantastic. <laughs> of course you can take your husband. Thank you. Husbands are always welcome. But would they always be welcome with Larissa Ione, author of the Demonica series? Even better, her husband was standing right next to her when I asked. Okay, and I'm just going to warn you about the first question is, if you had to go to a desert island for the rest of your life, what famous actor would you take with you? Laura Adrian said her own husband. So I just, and your husband is here. So if you had to go to a desert island for the rest of your life, Larissa, who would you take with you? Liam Neeson. <laughs> who is your husband, right? Right. Oh, yeah, he's my dream husband. Do you have a good Liam Neeson impression? No, I don't, actually. I was hoping she'd say Sean Connery because I have one of those. <laughs> I will go to a desert island for the rest of my life with my husband if he acts like Sean Connery the whole time we're there. Yeah, that'll work. So back to more serious matters. If that's possible, at a conference in New Orleans where everyone's talking about sex. Why romance? That was the final question I put to the 1001 Dark Knights contributors. Larissa Ione had this to say. Because... Everybody can relate to it. Everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Every human wants a companion. And um, you find romance in every single genre. It doesn't matter if you're watching a thriller. There always, there's this romantic subplot. So um, it's just, that's what we humans are meant to do. And Rita Award winner Julie Kenner. Why romance? Because it's all about the happily ever after. That's it. That's it. That's it. And the sex. No one typifies success as an indie romance author quite like series contributor Liliana Hart. Her books were rejected by traditional publishers for years because they couldn't decide whether to shelve them in mystery or romance. So why not simply switch genres to make a sale? Why not tone down the sex? I, I write romance because, you know, the other genres, they don't like the sexy times like romance does. <laughs> And apparently I have to write about that. Apparently you do. And let me tell you something. I read your installment in 1001 Dark Nights at the gym on the elliptical, and that was a mistake. That is a mistake. I I'm needed sorry. to be home alone reading that in the privacy of my own bedroom. All I'm going to say is jail cell, all right? Right. That's yeah. the best scene ever. And I get emails like I had to stop and take a walk around the block. <laughs> I was pretty proud of myself for that jail cell scene. Lisa Renee Jones, author of the Inside Out series, took a more serious approach to the question of why she writes romance. 
Because romance is at the core of who we are as human beings. And uh, we all, I don't care what the story is, ultimately there is always a romance there. And it cracks me up how so many uh, people who read other genres think the romance isn't a part of what they read when it, the reality is in every single story, movie, etc., there is a romance at the core because that's who we are as human beings. We have to have that connection. Shayla Black is the author of over 40 romance novels. One of her Wicked Lovers novellas launched A Thousand and One Dark Nights this past January. Her answer as to why she writes romance also revealed why she has stayed true to a genre that's seen widespread change since she first started working in it years ago. I was a little kid and um, my mother had a babysitter to watch me after school and she started reading um, Kathleen Woodowitz's Shanna when I was a little kid and I... You know, I wanted to read it because her nose was just shoved in that book. And she was like, uh, no, you, you can't read that. So I got to be in college, and I was browsing a bookstore one day looking for a used textbook, but they had a fiction section, so I walked past it, and I happened to notice the book was sitting there on the shelf. So I picked it up, and kind of in between classes, I started reading it one day, and I just I fell in love with the genre, and I never stopped. Romance might be timeless, but the genre itself seems to move and change um, with, with every year that goes by. It, it just seems to somehow keep up and stay modern. Instead of, you know, being super interested in some sort of, you know, Viking hero or medieval lord or whatever. So, yeah, now we're into rock stars and billionaires. And um, I, I, I think there's even a series out there about mafia assassins and, you know, pick your pick. But it's, I, I think we're just, as, as TV has gotten grittier and, and we talk more openly about everything, I think the series, or the genre itself has changed. Good sex. Happily ever afters. Constant companionship. How can you dismiss a genre that provides for these primal needs? Ask the mainstream media. They seem to do it almost every other day. Romance novels are treated with more disdain than most other popular genres of fiction even though mysteries and thrillers can be pretty damn predictable and often boil down to a moral that goes something along the lines of, gosh, we really should have listened to that old straight white guy. Still, is there a term for the mystery that's quite as belittling as bodice ripper or, God forbid, mommy porn? By the way, woe betide the interloper who makes the mistake of using either of those terms at a conference like RT. You might call me crazy for this, but I'm going to suggest that maybe the less courageous, or at least the predictable choice, is choosing to wallow endlessly in the frustrations and disappointments of our everyday lives. I mean, where would Facebook be without it? And maybe the courageous choice, or at least the audacious choice, is putting pen to paper and writing about the world as we would like it to be. Anyone who loves genre fiction believes, at some level, that fantasy is not an idle pursuit, but when used wisely, a tool for emotional survival. It's no small thing when a woman, or a gay man for that matter, who's been sent countless, insidious, shaming messages throughout her life telling her to be quiet about her sexuality, decides to write about the sex she would like to have and the love she would like to come with it. Call me crazy, but I think that's brave. I'm Christopher Rice, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show. Hey, 
everyone here at The Dinner Party Show, I'd like to congratulate my co-host Christopher Rice on the publication of his first full-length erotic romance novel, The Surrender Gate. It's the latest installment in his brand new series, The Desire Exchange, which began with his novella, The Flame, last year. Both books are now on sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and if you buy them there, a portion of your sale supports the operation of this show. Congratulations, Christopher, and happy reading, everyone. Sounds like you might want to read this one alone. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And that was an encore presentation of our special report, or I should say my special report, from New Orleans. Yeah, it was very special for me because I got to not go to New Orleans. <laughs> you got to go in October when we went for the Lestat Coronation what Ball. What a ball. What a ball. And I don't just mean the ball. I had like such a good time. Yeah, I'm kings. still dieting We're off. still dieting off that trip. Oh, my God. God, yeah. But yeah. that would that convention or that conference was, I want to say it was in April, and it was the first time I met most of the other authors included in A Thousand and One Dark Nights, the authors who were interviewed. And now in 2015, there will be twice as many authors. There, Most of them, the ones who aren't too nervous, are all going to be coming on the dinner party show in the coming months. <laughs> we're going to try to have them on when their novella releases. And... Uh, there. Uh, okay, so it's a no, it's it was a novella a month, right? And so, right. And you wrote. You've already done one novella yes. for the series called The Flame. The Flame, which, which came is also out in available November. at thedinnerpartyshow.com, but that's available everywhere pretty much now. Right? It, it is almost at the point where it will be available for Barnes and Noble, which is the Nook, I mean, and iBooks as well. The each title is exclusive to Amazon for ninety days. There are paperback versions that are available through CreateSpace, which is a essentially Amazon's print-on-demand outfit. Uh, So people who love paper books can get it in that way. But you do, if you want it in the first 90 days, you have to get it from Amazon. Right. Yeah. And you can get it from the Jenner Party Show. Always. Always. And then the new book, The Surrender Gate, is a part of the Thousand and One Dark Nights or it's separate? entity that it's part of a series you're writing right called the desire Desire exchange Exchange. there flame is part of that series too there are two types of series formats i think and that are popular not just in romance but kind of across the board well i wouldn't say they're popular in mystery or thriller in mystery or thriller it's like you have one hero or heroine who comes back book after book right and, and has a crisis in romance a lot of times, because readers are very hungry for a couple or a thruple, if you will, which is what the flame is about, because readers are very hungry for resolution and closure within a single storyline, uh-huh. a happily ever after, two people meet, fall in love, and they're they're together by the end of it, and knitted together by the end of it, committed to each other by the end of it, Right. you don't bring them back for the third and fourth book to show the difficulties of their marriage. it's not. I mean, you can do it, but it's not as common. <laughs> it sort of licks the rat off the happily ever after candy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what those writers do instead, which is what I'm doing right now on the Desire Exchange, is you have every book is kind of a unique entry point into a world or universe. So there's right. an overarching secret organization which sort of connects every book, every novel and novella in the series called The Desire Exchange. And I won't reveal exactly what it is because that's the big reveal at the end of The Surrender Gate. Well, yeah, you don't want to tell the end of your book. That yeah. would kind of 
to defeat the purpose of reading the book. Exactly. But that's the thread that ties all the characters that you will meet in the universe together. So each book sort of focuses on a new couple, or as I said, in the case of The Flame, a new menage. Um, but it isn't, you, you aren't required to have read the previous book really to know what's going on. At least that's my hope. I'm trying to structure it that way because I think until you have a series be very successful, it's challenging to um, not have your second and third book be unique entry points and to have someone say, well, I've got to go back to the first book. When I, but the, I think that's always sensible with any series that it yeah. should be it should have the ability to stand alone. It's why I like the first Star Wars movie better than any of the other ones because it was complete into itself more right. so than any of the other episodes so far. I don't know about the, mm-hmm. the new one. Anyway, that's very much off topic. But yes, I, yeah, I completely think it yeah. it's a series. So it's the it is in many ways the same notion. And they there are quite a few Star Wars books, actually. All right. So you said menage. Yes. Right? Which I think is worth describing because that is a has a particular meaning. Yes. In the romance novel world. Yes. And maybe would be appealing to uh, potential readers of yes. the Surrender Gate who aren't just reading it because you wrote it, which well, is certainly a good enough reason. But you it might not be incredibly clear from the jacket copy, as we call it in the business, of the surrender gate, but the surrender gate is not a menage, but the flame is a menage. Okay. It's, so it's, the difference is Well, th- what the surrender gate involves is a love triangle, a woman torn between two men. But a menage would be she would be happy having both of them at once and they would be happy being in the three way as well. And that's not the storyline of the Surrender Gate. I don't want to spoil it too much, but honestly, with a romance novel, you know there's going to be a happily ever after. But I do try to create some suspense around which one she's going to end up with. Right. Because one of them is gay. Really? It opens with a young woman following her gay best friend because she suspects him of working as a male escort. <laughs> And she's spying. Like you do. Like you do. And she also believes that his job as a male escort has given him some leads into this mysterious organization called the Desire Exchange. And the reason she has to track down the Desire Exchange uh, becomes clear as you read the book. It's part of the larger storyline. Okay. So she's decided, rather than asking her best friend Jonathan if he's working as an escort, to follow him and try to catch him with a client, which is some maybe mixed motives on her part. Like she's a little too curious. So she gets discovered spying right. on them. Ooh. The client is kind of a, let's say, sort of a dangerous man. He's got uh, a reputation in local politics. He says, boy. if you two want to get out of here, um, you two have to have sex with each other. And that's how the book opens. And it totally screws with both of their heads. They've never been physically intimate with each other ever. Uh, she's always had an attraction to him, but she's always dismissed it and thought there's not a chance in hell. He's, you know, came blowing out of the closet at the age of 16, as she says, and suddenly they've done it as a result of what we would call dubious consent. Someone right. sort of kind of forced them to do it. Right. And so that's how the book begins. Well, that's – what do you think? I mean, are people I – how- I don't know. I think they might be a little weirded out. I mean, I think every time I posted on Facebook even a little bit of a synopsis that, that – that made it clear that the flame also involved a woman, but in the context of a three-way, people would say, this is straight. I don't want to read your straight erotica. I mean, it was a, it was a minority of comments, but these are people who have been reading my heavily gay-themed books for years. Right. I don't know if they'll come on board for this one, but I I will say... Or the or contrary-wise, the, the not-gay readership, or how did they feel about 
the 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 woman oh, having sex with the gamut. So oh they yeah, thought, they thought it was so hot. Now the the question, the suspense, and maybe it is a little bit more suspense than is normal uh-huh. in a romance novel when it comes to the relationship portion. That, there'll be a lot of romance novels that are romantic suspense that are about terrorism and crime and things that we're used to seeing on you know in movies and TV. But the suspense is could that is there really a shot for these two? Like you go a while wondering, do they have a chance together? Could you know right. there's a popular term in the MM romance world, right? Which we talk about a lot on the show, where those are romance with romance novels with two male hero characters who are in love and they're very often written by women, sometimes uh-huh. gay women and sometimes transgender people and, and, and it's you know, the the authorship is not necessarily quite as cut and dry as just straight women. But um there's a term in that world called gay for you oh as opposed to gay for pay right as opposed to gay for pay and they love a very popular storyline is a straight guy just falls head over heels for that one guy and he's gay for you ah. and so when i talked about this yeah, idea i can see where the fantasy appeal would be right that. like you know it's you're the you're the one like there's no other man but you babe <laughs> So it, the the suspense in this book is around is it is it a straight for you storyline? Can right. he just go straight for her? Right. Cuz he says right from the beginning just one night with you is not taking away my attraction to men, but we could do something that maybe has no rules and no limits and then, you know, the story proceeds from there and another man quickly enters enters the scene to create the and third the three spot. and do the three of them then or is that spoiler I I, I'm not going to tell you but I will say it's not a menage, so no. Like you know because of the, when you market these types of books um, the, the, so then it's compare and contrast. It's compare. It's a love triangle. Comparison right? shopping. It's an old school love triangle. That's really except with kind of some new twists, which I think is, uh, you know, I think is what everybody's looking for in a new book. Because mm-hmm. obviously we know why we're reading the romance, but you still want it to be exciting and right, right. have new ideas and, and concepts. So the desire exchange is then going to be a unifying theme mm-hmm. between each of these books, The Surrender Gate, The Flame, that you wrote as part of the Thousand and One Nights series. You have another Thousand and One Nights yes. series? Will it also be part of the— It will be a novella, and I'll tell you, this is how it's working. There is a mysterious candle shop in the New Orleans French Quarter that is connected to the Desire Exchange. The Desire Exchange is a secret club for millionaires to live out their sexual fantasies, but the methods by which they do that are supernatural in nature. Okay, and that's so supernatural all millionaires. Supernatural, my favorite kind. Supernatural. Well, the millionaires aren't supernatural, but the people who run the Desire Exchange are. I see. And they have a connection to this little candle shop in the French Quarter. And in this candle shop, if a certain candle calls to you, you go in and you, this it, it draws you by emulating the scent of the person you desire the most. And if you light this candle, some sort of force unravels from it, which allows you and the person or people. To, you would like to be with to finally so, get together. So where is this shop exactly? It's, it's, on, it's in my mind. It's in the French uh, quarter of my right, mind. So I can't go on our next visit. <laughs> exactly. Will there be a continuation of the, the candle shop theme in the in the, the Thousand and One Night that you're doing? In, yes. In Kiss the Flame. Kiss the Flame Kiss the Flame, is, the flame the, okay. is out in November, and it will be another story centered around the candle shop. But it will involve some characters who are first introduced in the Surrender Gate. It's almost, it's like a mosaic construction. You know, like it's not, this is her book and this is his book. It's Most books will center on a new character, and the secondary characters who come in will be familiar from previous books, but you won't have to have read all of those books to know who they are. Right, as we talked about earlier, that yeah. the standalone kind of concept. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about the nature of the, what you can tell us without giving too much away of the Desire Exchange. It's a supernaturally 
Okay. Created. Let me put it this way. Club for millionaires for to get their yayas. I wanted to create a type of supernatural being that wasn't exactly the same as what m- most other paranormal romance authors right. are doing right now. Vampires are very popular. Really? <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Werewolves are also very popular. Yeah. 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 I didn't want to do either of those things. So I create I tried to create my own uh, mythology. If you will, succubi, are they doing okay in the I supernatural think world? I think they're doing okay, but I think they may be sort of more of a gods and goddesses type thing. A ghost, ghost porn. This it involves a ghost. Oh, That's does it really? It okay. So one of the characters involved in the universe is a ghost. I will not say the Desire Exchange is run by ghosts because it isn't, but I'll say this. Okay, BDSM is very big right now. Right. I'm. I'm not. A huge fan. You know, I, I appreciate it. Obviously, the Fifty Shades of Grey thing is happening. And there was one aspect of BDSM culture that I seized on, which was called scening, which is role play. Right. And I wanted to create a universe where, let's just say, role play became very intense and very vivid. And that's what the desire that exchange is That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, that sounds way more appealing to me. I think the aspect of BDSM that appeals to me is the role play. Right. The being struck or tied up no. is not really my thing so much. But the role play part, oh, yeah, that's – Yeah. Yeah, quarterback and water boy. Let's yeah, go. Right? Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, yeah because it's, that's, that's how a lot of us participate with porn. I mean, we go searching – those of us who watch porn, we go searching for the fantasy. <laughs> the one or two people. The one or two people. I hear it does – It's been, It really you know, is. In fact, I think it's the, the – when I when porn fails, I think it's because they forget that it's about the audience's fantasies. That right. There are a few basic fantasies that, you know, people want to relive again and again, and they don't get tired of them, even if you as the performer and producers do. And, yeah, they try new twists, and it's like, eh, not so much. So I guess that's part of the challenge in writing yes. erotica as well is remembering that the audience is, you know, <laughs> more than just listening. The audience yeah, is, yeah. You know. Also, it is recognizing that there is a difference between uh, the way male readers and female readers experience these scenes that you're putting in your book. There are certain things, and I and this was not something I arrived at just through presumption. I had a lot of conversations with female readers and female authors. Like they do not want to hear how many inches it is. There's something about that that shuts it down for a lot of people. It's too clinical. A lot of the things that define kind of male-oriented smut, you know, highly visual descriptions of the sex act. That's not a lot of the women I talk to. That's when they disengage from the scene. And it doesn't have to all be emotion, but there has to be a really kind of juicy interplay between no, the two No, I can things. see that in even in non-erotic literature, like if it like there is a certain amount of description that is helpful for me to understand it, but if you describe too far, if you make things too clear to a point where You've described something I'm no longer intrigued by. Right. I can lose interest in the whole book. Right. Just based on, you know, description choice. I, I always tell the the story of reading a book where there were pictures from the movie of the book in the middle of the book. And mm-hmm. I, I loved the book until I saw the pictures from right. the movie. And I didn't like the actor in the movie. So then after it, the book kind of fell apart for me because I kept picturing it as being that actor. So – I can see And the reverse can be true, too. I read Fifty Shades of Grey with greater enthusiasm when the first stills of Jamie Dornan in the world came out. I I was – suddenly I saw Jamie Dornan and everything. I was like, oh, I can – yeah. Hello, (laughs) hello, hello. So it's it's an interesting thing. Um, It is challenging because ultimately you want to write your fantasy. You want to write what turns you Well, you have to. But if you just write that in every scene, it's going to get – 
boring. It's not enough for a novel. Well, it, it might gets be boring for a short for story. Yeah. So you have to branch out and you have to. I think what's important to me about a sex scene is that there be a point of view in it, that you sink into a single character's point of view and you really live through the words what that sex is about for them in that moment. You know, and and I think it's um, it can be a fascinating. It was fascinating for me because I was writing it a lot from the point of view of a woman. And I think that that your considerable abilities as an author will really add a dimension to this that I think people would really like, whether you want me to read it or not. (laughs) Well, I hope so. I mean, there's a there's a lot of really there's a lot of diverse romance out there right now and more so than people, I think, realize like like uh harlequin which becomes a buzzword i think for a lot of people who want to dismiss the whole genre harlequin has a dozen different lines of different types of romance it's a huge company and so i am more on the angsty side you know i like a lot of angst in my romance so there's some angst in the serenity yeah no i think your character driven fiction will add a wonderful uh addition to you know, the part that we all already agree that we love. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eric Sharp. Well, good luck with The Surrender Gate. It's available um, at the dinnerpartyshow.com and from Amazon right now and then everywhere in 90 days. So Absolutely. depending on when you're listening to this, just go to the dinnerpartyshow.com. You and can always buy available. it through the dinnerpartyshow.com. And if you buy it through there, a percentage of your sale supports the operation of this show. So next week, Jonelle is in the house. Yeah. Yes, Jonelle, and I, apparently she's bringing a new friend with her. I don't know who this guy is. Well, but she's we'll see. she is hosting her encore presentation of her Valentine's live from Poison Creek special. Okay, that while should you be interesting. are away at, I I am traveling all over. I'm going to Florida to attend the Coastal Magic Conference, which is a paranormal romance conference, and then I'm staying with some friends for a few days, and then my mother and I will be appearing at the Savannah Book Festival together. We'll be the closing act on the Sunday of the festival. We really mean that. <laughs> <laughs> We're Ed and Christopher Rice. That's really okay. Well, that sounds very exciting. So next week here at the dinner party show, Jonelle and company with special new original material produced in and around uh-huh. the encore presentation yeah. of her Valentine's Live from Poison Creek special and Christopher Rice at Magic Times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Magic Time restaurant in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. <laughs> the Coastal Magic Convention in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is this weekend. And... Which is actually wrapping up is <laughs> right now as we're you know doing this show, and then uh, the Savannah Book Festival with my mother. All right, then. Well, have a wonderful trip, and we will be back together on the Facebook page, live posting the Oscars on February twenty second. On February twenty second. So join us there, and then our fabulous conclusion to Romance Month, the first Sunday, the first of March, is. Jackie, Jackie Collins. Collins live in the studio. So call three two three Pez TDPS and get your questions for Jackie Collins in now because God knows there'll be competition. Anyway, Absolutely. it's been wonderful. Good, good luck with the surrender. Thank Day you very much. Thank you. It's been wonderful to take time to talk about what we actually do for a living here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's been wonderful for you all to join us. So. Absolutely. Happy Romance Month. And until next time, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Thanks.
I've been to a marvelous party. 